political pundits way smarter than myself have said the guy that you're about to meet, our next guest, pulled off so far the political upset of the year in Georgia. You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is The Chuck Williams Show. Welcome back to the Chuck Williams Show. We are in the middle of political season or the start of the second round of political season. And our guest today is Chris West. Chris is a Thomasville attorney, but more importantly right now, he's the Republican nominee for the second congressional district seat. He will be facing longtime incumbent Sanford Bishop in the November general election. Chris, welcome. Thank you, Chuck. Great to be with you. Good to have you here. We also have Sacra Gray with us. Sacra is a reporter here at WRBL, and like myself, she's been covering some of the second congressional district race. So Sacra is probably going to chime into this conversation and offer some of her questions and her perspectives. It'll, I think it'll be an interesting forty-five minutes. We're about to come up on Chris. What you did when you look at sheer dollars and cents? What you did in July? When you up, or in June, when you up, when you defeated Jeremy Hunt, was the equivalent of a David versus Goliath. He had two point five million here thereabouts. You had two hundred thousand. He filled the airwaves, some of it with uncomplimentary uh, images of you, but somehow or another, you ended up withstanding that and beating him in a runoff. How'd you do it? Well, um, it's. I think a lot of hard work, and but working smart, and we took a an honest, business like approach to running the campaign, like I like I've seen businesses successfully run, and you know when you start out, you don't know exactly what the other side is going to raise or what it's going to take. I bet if if you asked any of the experts initially, what would it take to have won the race? Uh, it may have got to seven figures, but I bet nobody would have said that two million would have been spent. That would have been, I mean, that would almost have been malpractice for any of them to say that because historically there's nothing that they could have pointed to uh, in the region that would have indicated anything close to that kind of money being spent. So you know, you you build a team and uh, you, you, know, you start set, set certain goals, and then you you start ticking them off like, and you you scale up as a business. Um, partly our funding was district funds, so uh, whereas the vast People majority... People lived and voted in the district were giving you contributions as that's opposed right. to political action committees from Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia. That's exactly right. And, you know, it may have been $50 checks instead of $5,000 checks, but our folks were able to, to vote that, ca- that sent us those $50 checks. And um, that's the kind of... Uh, organization that we built a lot of volunteers i had so many great people that became a part of our organization that um, volunteered of their time so we you know we had people that were essentially like staffers but they they weren't they were volunteering their time they had jobs elsewhere or maybe they were retired or or what have you but uh dedicated a lot of time and a lot of a calls. staff and an office i mean that's right he was run. he was running a campaign i mean you know, into what you just said about two point five million, nobody would guess that. If you had said that days before Christmas, before Hunt's name really started circulating out there, he didn't live here. Nobody knew who he was except he was this guy that frequently appeared on Fox News. Um, 
Um, somebody said there's going to be 2.5 million spent by one candidate in the in Southwest Georgia. He said, "Now, what part of Atlanta is that?" Because right. those are Atlanta numbers. Yeah. But you know, when was the first time you heard Jeremy Hunt's name? You were like, "Whoa, who's this guy, and where did he come from?" I think it was in January, and um, it was he was being discussed among some of the folks on our team that uh, he was looking at potentially running in Georgia 2 or Georgia 6. And um, we thought, well, 6 is crowded. Uh, it's probably more challenging for him to get in there. But, um, you know, it, it is where he grew up, so it might be more likely that he's going to run there. So I, I kind of almost like, well, he's probably more likely to run there. And then – uh, at some point in the in the weeks after that, uh, we got you know further indications that you know, he, he is going to uh, to come here. And I think maybe it, I don't remember exactly when he, um, when he, he transitioned down uh, down here in Columbus, but it was in the weeks after that. You know, with about two weeks, two and a half weeks to go, uh, WRBL, myself and Sacra both got really interested in this race because all of a sudden. You started seeing the money. You started seeing these massive ad buys. Um, you know, and it was interesting as a reporter, and I'd like to hear Sacra's take on this too. Interesting as a reporter, it was like, whoa, wait a minute. Something's going on here, and I don't understand it. And, you know, and how are we going to figure this out? And, you know, and I think for me it was when – I realized that Jeremy Hunt's office was two and a half blocks from the station, and I had never seen it. And it was like I rode by it every day and had no idea it was there. And then it hit me, what am I missing? It's like we were so focused on the governor's race. We were so focused on Secretary of State. We were so focused on the um, the Senate stuff. What are we missing? I mean, what I mean from your thoughts, Zachary, I mean. Yeah, uh, so – when you cover politics, especially on election night, it's a lot of hurry up and wait, right? It's chaotic when it's chaotic, but there's times where there's lulls. And what was interesting is I was able to sit with a lot of the volunteers, your family, and so it kind of helps you get insight onto the candidate that you don't get from their website, right? So when I was talking to volunteers, something that really struck me was, you know, 30 minutes before polls closed, they were still calling people. And, and some of the volunteers were like, my fingers are cramping up. I've had to dial so many numbers today just because it was, you know, the time was running out. They weren't giving up. And when you think about that final push, I think it it really struck me as the volunteers that were on your team, they were in it until, like, the clock ran out. And so um, – and then even talking with your family as well, you know, it's not like you decided – one morning that this is exactly what you wanted to do. You almost got thrown into this. There was no one else. Like, you were the person that had to step up and do it. Um, so I think when people think of a candidate and think of an everyman candidate, you know, that's how they describe you is you felt like one of their own, and so they were willing to dial those numbers and have those finger cramps for you. Well, it's, a, it's an honor to hear you say that, and, um, yeah, that's, that's meaningful. Uh, for, for people in today's world that time is valuable. And, uh, and we've got so many great folks that could, be, could have been a dozen other places, but they believed in us and what we were doing enough to spend those hours. It's, 
That's really I mean, meaningful. in those hours translated into votes, you won by less than a thousand votes. What seven hundred? Is that right? I think seven fifty. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, seven fifty in a congressional seat—that's a tight race. Absolutely. Um, I, I guess what about a point and a half, or it's, um, and I may not have—I may not have the math right there, but it was a very—it was a very close race, and and those those dials mattered. I know. I mean, my my mother, I think, probably called around three thousand people in the last three weeks. I, I called a couple thousand myself, and and there, and there were several others. Uh, Miss Dale Nasinovich from from down in Thomasville. She was a trooper. I mean, she just day after day. Do you think that made a difference? Those. You honestly think that we made wouldn't it. have won it without it. It was critical. You know, and, and then you know, it's uh, you know, being smart with the few resources that you have otherwise. But without those volunteers spending their time. Uh, yeah, and, and not only making phone calls, it's people knocking doors. Um, it's getting signs up to folks and, and talking this up. Word of mouth was a huge part of our race. And it's unique to this district and something that, that the experts, I think, in D.C., the political folks, didn't really understand that in here in this district, how word of mouth is so much more important than in metro areas. Do you think when the Josh Hawleys and the vet, is it Veterans for Victory, is that the right name for the PAC? Uh, it was, I don't, I don't remember. Was, I don't think that's there, right, but it was, it were a, a veteran. That was Tom Cotton's pack. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. But there were several packs that kind of jumped into this and spent enormous amounts of money. What did, and you touched on it a second, but elaborate. What did they not know about a, the average Republican voter in the second congressional district from Thomasville to Columbus, from Macon down to Albany? Well, that's part of it that, um, but what I think they really failed to recognize was that people here, we may talk slow, but we're pretty intuitive people. And your word is so very important. And people took a close look at what have you been saying? Where have you been? Does it match up with what I see? And I just think they looked at, at our campaign and they looked, they took a look at me and they said, that's somebody that, is uh, at least he's authentic. Um, he's been saying the same things for years because I, some people would say, hey, where's your issues page on your website? I, I want to go see what you believe. And I would always point them to my social media. And I would say, there's 18 years of social media history. Don't listen to what a candidate tells you when they're running uh, for office. Uh, go and you know look at what, look and see what they've done and look and see um you know, what have they been saying before they were a candidate? And I would, I would say that about, you know, us. And I'd, I'd say that, you know, I'll say that in the future about Sanford Bishop. Is to go look and not what he's been, uh, you know, not what he says now, but what, what has he been doing? I know we're, we're not there in the discussion. We're, yet, we're getting there. Real. We're getting there. But I heard your opponent, uh, Jeremy Hunt, described as a carpetbagger. And a carpetbagger is one of those overused political terms. But in this part of the country, particularly when you get into the deep south parts of Georgia, carpetbagger has a connotation to it that, you know, you're coming in here to profit. You're coming in here to, I mean, it was a post-Civil War reconstruction term. You're coming in well, here. Well, so the first time I, ha I heard the, the term thrown around, I said, well, wait, isn't, doesn't that sort of have an offensive meaning? Is that maybe, is that a pejorative term? I, I didn't know. I knew I'd heard it before. So I actually went and looked, and I, I, I looked up the definition in a couple of different uh, online um, 
dictionaries. A couple, couple interpretations on yes, and you're you're right. But the the latest interpretation of, of what is in today's lexicon, if you will, is someone who moves to an area in which they do not live for the purpose of running for political office. So I said, okay, that that is that is in fact what we have here. So um, based on that definition, I, I was I was okay with that that. Today's lexicon. That's term. interesting. I want people to understand a little more about you. I want to shift this gear now. Tell me, if I'm listening to this, I want to know who's Chris West. In your words, I know you're a dad. I know you're a son. I know you're military. But who are you? Well, I am first a believer. I'm a Christian. Um, and my life, my where I get my purpose from is as a follower of Christ. And that is the that is the basis for everything of which I've done, tried to do throughout my life, and everything for which I, I try to do now. And then the next part of that is, I love America. I love I, I enjoy politics and government. Um, I used to pr- probably where that started from is I used to watch. I think I've told you this before, Chuck. I've, I've watched the news with my granddad uh, when when I was growing up. We used to live next door to them out on his small farm in Thomas County, and he would watch the news at, at 6 and 6.30 every night. And I, most nights I was beside him watching the news. And that cultivated me an interest in politics and government. And um, as I grew up and went you know, through grade school, one of the things I was interested in, that, that was a subject I was very interested in, and I was homeschooled, uh, which is, was somewhat unique. It's less, uh, less unique now. There's a lot more people that do it. But I was homeschooled, and that allowed me the, the time and flexibility to spend Probably uh, you know, should maybe I should have been doing more math studies, but uh, I spent a lot of time reading politics, history, government, and um, so that uh, ultimately led me to when I went to to college, Valdosta State, um, and and by, by the way, I went homeschool all the way through. I, I went and played high school football and baseball at a, at a small private school, a Brookwood School You're in, Brookwood. in Thomasville. Yeah, no, was that Brookwood Christian or Brookwood? Just, just Brookwood, Brookwood School. Okay, Brookwood. okay. yeah. And um, I'm, I'm proud to say that's where my, my oldest son goes now. We have two little ones that aren't old enough yet. But uh, it's, a, it's a great place. And, um, but, uh, and then, you know, ultimately went to Valdosta State, studied politics and government, and went and interned in Washington for a short time with Senator Saxby Chambliss when he was in the Senate. And uh, it was that time that I kind of made the determination, all right, Am I going to make a career of this, or am I going to go and do something else? So and you were thinking about being a staffer or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Just because I I loved it, but but what was uh, what I've quickly found out was that Washington has got a lot of problems. I can remember vividly uh, watching from the well. Uh, I don't think we broke any news <laughs> <Okay>. right there. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I, I remember Chuck Schumer um, talking from the well, and I was in the gallery in the Senate one day, and he kind of he, he stepped up there and he went off on this sixty-second rant about something, and I thought, well, that was kind of bizarre, you know, that was nothing to do with the business at hand. Well, I, I got back to my apartment that night, and lo and behold, I watched the news as I've, I've often done over the years, um, old habits. Uh, but the one headline on the news and all that was covered was. Senator Schumer given this rant that had nothing to do about what the business at hand was. And, you know, it was kind of the, the media in addition to, to D.C. And I just thought, you know, I remember that being a time that's like Washington's got a lot of problems, which which ultimately led me to, to um, you know, deciding 
this is not where I want to live and where I'm going to go and, and raise a family and have a business uh, in South Georgia. And, and I, I could go into that further, but yeah, I want to pull Sacra in here real quick. And you've kind of followed uh, Chris and you did a lot of homework online on him. What do you want to ask him about who he is or uh, anything that you'd like to know kind of about the Thomasville guy sitting beside you? Well, I think what would be interesting for viewers watching is, you know, we spoke a little bit on election night about how you played baseball and, you know, you know as an athlete what it's like when the pressure's on and that kind of applied in politics as well, right? It did. So um, coming up, I played uh, Little League and high school baseball. And that's a great question, Sacra. Thank you. Um, and I was a pitcher throughout most of it. And I, I learned through pitching. My, my dad had me practice a lot. And I got some good role models, one of which was Greg Maddox. And your, your baseball you know, viewers will know Maddox was just this, uh, oh, man, Mad the dog. guy's incredible. He's incredible. And the stats are unreal. Um, but he did it through a lot of practice. And he, wasn't the hard, he couldn't throw the hardest. And so, but, but I think probably what I told Sacro that night um, was that the higher the pressure gets, the more, or in, in, in baseball, the higher the pressure game, the more precise my pitching would get. I would just zone in and get very accurate. Concentration. Yes, uh, and uh, and and so uh, as you know, I, and I, that applies in certain instances in business and and probably politics as well. I'm obviously new to the political game, but but in in business, as the pressure builds, I just get zoned in and focused to be able to uh, you know try to um, try to to excel at whatever we're doing. I want to ask you on the morning of the twenty first when you're sitting there going into this runoff. Did you think you were going to win at 7 a.m. when the polls opened? Well, I mean, we, we were honestly, obviously. Honestly, did you think you were going to win? The, the numbers indicated that we, it looked like we were going to. And, you know, we weren't, we, uh, we were able to track through various means of polling, some of which, you know, other folks had, had done, I think, and, and sent to us. But um, I think election night, as we go into that, I, I was just th- I, no, I didn't think I was going to be. I thought I'm running the, the equation in my mind, and I'm saying 2.5 million versus because that's you know we were tracking the the buys, so yeah. we knew what they were spending, and I just thought there's they're going to be able to push this turnout number up because what my folks have told me is if turnout gets above 15,000, I think the number was. Uh, we're, we're not going to be able – the wave's going to crest over us because the number of people that we were talking to, um, which, which was the Republican-centric group that was going to turn out, but I thought as turnout grows, this, these are people who are going to have heard less of our message, who know less about the candidates, and are more likely to have seen the television ads you know, in mediums that we were not uh, as highly concentrated in because we just didn't have the money. So I thought, as I was watching those numbers come in, and we're hearing that this is, you know, turnout's bigger than what we thought, I was thinking, eh, yeah, probably not going to, we're probably not going to make it. But, um, you know, to, to my surprise, our numbers kept holding as, as they came in. You know, I had spent time with you and spent time with Jeremy in, like, the two weeks leading up. I didn't think you had a chance until, and it was, like, the Thursday before, and I heard that there had been a major ad buy by the hunt by the pack supporting hunt in key markets like Columbus and Macon and Albany. And that ad buy was negative ads against you. When I heard that, I said, 
okay, they may be up because you don't make that ad buy if you think you're about to win. You are exactly correct. That analysis was exactly right, and that was that was what we were seeing also. And uh, we we thought their the smart play for them was was to go negative. Uh, it was it was the it was the play to make. What'd your mama say about the negative commercials? I think it, you know she didn't say a lot, but but honestly, when every time I talked with mom, it was all right. Mom, give me a status report. Where you know, where are we at? How many calls we make today? All right, good. Is there any, anybody I need to talk back to? Uh, is there anybody I need to call that had you know more additional questions? So we we were all about business. Probably it, it, it probably. Uh, motivated her to to work harder but uh but she she was a champ and stayed through it she kind of drug you into republican party politics didn't she you're right she did the the very first and you i'm, I'm surprised you remember this the, the the very first political venue or event that i ever went to was in albany georgia and it was dan quayle came in uh i think it was 1992 and uh, I was about, I don't know, seven or eight years old, and I remember standing on the front rope line, and uh, and my mom was there as a, you know, proud American. Uh, uh, she, she just loves country, loves America. You know, she she has a real uh, interest in George Washington and, and knows a lot about, been to Mount Vernon, she has a lot of his books, and uh, she's a real huge George Washington fan, and that's that's what uh, brought so she's her got into a, she's a she's a history buff. She is, yeah. Um, let's change gears again. Sanford Bishop has been representing this district for 30 years. He's seeking his 16th term. Many have tried, all have failed. That's right. Why are you going to be the guy that breaks that streak? Well, first, we've got to recognize that he is undefeated, and he's been very, very smart. He's been a smart politician. He's he now can, the dean with John Lewis's death. He's now the dean of Georgia's congressional delegation. Yeah, and, and I, I would say, you know, um, with the amount of seniority that he has, I'm surprised that we don't, you would almost think you would see more out of him, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, of leadership, but, um, but we haven't, we haven't seen that. And I think the reason that we're going to beat him is partly how, how we won the first time. It's with authenticity, with hard work, speaking honestly, and the fact that voters are looking at this economy, they're looking at their 401k, they're looking at their ga- the gas prices, inflation, and they're saying, we've got to do something different. And, the, the, and um, Sanford has voted for these policies 100% of the time with, with uh, Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi. So... He is he is responsible for for the, um, the these gas prices. He has uh, you know a, a, he could have stepped up when the uh, permit was canceled for the Keystone XL pipeline and said this is the wrong way to go. You know if he he could have had the meetings of saying, hey, Mr. President, we this is the wrong direction to go. If you know, there there's going to be consequences if we but but he he didn't do that. Uh, In the past, South Georgia farmers have stuck have stuck with Sanford. Jeremy blatantly tried to peel that away in the primary in his advertising. Do you think there's an opening to get some of those South Georgia farmers? And I mean, you have everything in this district. You got the peaches over in Fort Valley. You got the peanuts. You got the cotton. 
You got soybeans. You got the whole thing running. Satsumas down. now, even. Yeah, yeah. pecans. Uh-huh. You know, you got everything in this district when it comes to Georgia agriculture, except the onions. We don't get the onions. But if you look at it, can you pierce that that armor that he has built around him with the farmer's support? Yes, and here's why. I'm the first candidate of all the ones that have been presented that actually comes from a strong ag background. My family, third generation, actually goes back further than that, but third generation agribusness. Um, we, uh, my first job, other than working with dad, was on a farm, Pineywood Farms, one of the oldest farms in Georgia. And uh, Jeremy. Is that a quail farm? No, no, it's no, uh, okay. cotton, it's, peanuts, and cattle. It's, it's a working, it's a working, it's oh, a yeah. working farm. That's uh, that's the Perry family down okay. in the family. Yeah. Okay, um, but uh, one of the, the reason that uh, Jeremy, I, I believe, while their campaign did that commercial is they recognized they had a weakness within the, the the ag vote that the ag voters that they were looking at were actually with me, and that's what they recognized is they had to 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 win in the, in the primary, they had to pull those votes. And they just had a bigger platform to be able to have the conversation. Whereas I say our, our folks were word of mouth. You know, I'm going to things like down in Iron City when they had the uh, tractor auction down there, and there was about 300 farmers. And, uh, you know, they're, they're doing an announcement from the, uh, from the stage about us. And a lot of that stuff, you can't track that from Washington, D.C., in terms of your polling and, and your intel. One thing about this district, and you touched on this, we did a Sunday conversation. If you want to see that, it'll be online uh, on, on WRBL.com. But if you look at this district, it was D plus four, D plus six, somewhere in there. Got redrawn in this year or last year, and now it's a D2. Uh, I think it was like D plus eight, and now it's a D plus three. Yeah. So two, three. So that means it went from – Solid Democratic to leaning Democratic. You said, and I haven't seen anybody say this like you had you did a few minutes ago, but you said this is the only competitive U.S. Congress race in the Deep South. Yes. So uh, Fox News uh, rolled out, I think, yesterday, but it, but I believe their information was based on Cook. And uh, real clear politics, but but Fox News had it up yesterday as a uh, as the uh, in their toss up list, and on the list it was the only one uh, in the Deep South. There's like I think two in Virginia, two in Texas, but of of, of the other true Southern states, we were the only one. Georgia too on the uh, toss up list. I had an interesting exchange with Congressman Austin Scott. Uh, we were both at an event over in Tifton um, a couple weeks ago, and I said, "Yeah, I said that was nice of you to give the." to give Thomasville to the second congressional district. And he goes, I didn't give them anything. They took it. And Thomasville is the center. Your hometown was in the district then taken out of the district in the 2010 realignment, brought back into the district in 2020, um, as was a significant chunk of Columbus, a, a more Republican, wider part of Columbus was drawn in there and some more of Macon. Does that give you the hope that you can pull off a second upset. Absolutely. I mean, we wouldn't have got into this without that redistricting. I mean, it was, you know, we had some great folks that ran before, but the numbers just weren't there. 
And uh, when you've got it, when they move, the reason we had so many great candidates jump in uh, and, and had such a, a, a interesting uh, primary that was hard fought uh, was because of this redistricting. Without the redistricting, you know, Jeremy wouldn't have come down here. I wouldn't have gotten this race most likely. The, the, many of the others wouldn't uh, just because, you know, it, it was not competitive. It's just the politics of it. It's the reality. Um, but, but now it, it, it truly is competitive. And so you have an opportunity for those independents and swing voters that would not have had an opportunity to take a look and have a, another chance at somebody else. Now those folks have got the opportunity to look and say, okay, I have, I have a, let me look and see is who's going to best represent me. Is it somebody who's been there now for 29 years that has con, you know, just uh, trillions and trillions in spending approved and uh, not much to show for it and uh, versus somebody who's coming in from the business world who's been throughout this district that um, – that has a fresh perspective to do something different and be able to uh, get our get our energy uh, crisis uh, fixed and um, stop these harmful policies that are hurting our businesses and families. Zach, where I wanted you to jump back in here is you listen to to Chris talk. I mean, Chris is obviously going to appeal to voters that are younger. Um, and because he's a younger guy and stuff, but from your perspective, kind of generationally looking at this, what, I mean, what do you think and what do you think about younger, what does it take to attract younger voters to, to support a candidate? I think young voters like things that are young and shiny. Does that make sense? Like it's like, we like the. Social media presence, you know, it has to be in our faces 24-7 in order for us to be interested. Our attention span is 15 seconds long, so that means in 15 seconds say something interesting or we're going to tune you right off. So I think, you know, we're a hard group to win over, but once you win our trust, you know, we're the ones that will show up to the polls. Um, But that being said, there is something to say for experience. 30 years of experience is, you know, something that is valuable, so I think when you bring a new candidate, you know, onto the scene and, you know, people do need to know who you are, what you stand for, things like that, you know, because of our short attention span, you know, you have to be able to have an elevator pitch that, you know, wins the voter over or at least gets them interested enough to do their own digging into you. I also had something like something that was interesting is, you know, when I was doing my research on you, everybody referred to you as an attorney, but then I met you in person and you're like, well, I'm actually a developer. So maybe tell a little bit about that because, yeah. you know, it's like I, that was just in my research of you. So you caught me off guard that day. Well, that that's true. And, uh, you know, my, my Southern nature is not just to step over and correct somebody when, when they say that. Um, but, but that is the truth. I mean, I, I am a licensed attorney. But from what I've been doing the last eight years is as an attorney for a commercial development company. And when you're in a, a smaller, mid-sized company and uh, you know, you've, you've been around for a while, you start making decisions based on business climate. You've got the, you've got the legal acumen, but you've got to look from the business perspective. And, and other folks in the company are coming to you and, and they need that business understanding and perspective. And, uh, you know, like... Uh, these days, I've spent as much of my time 
out on in the field somewhere looking at a site saying, okay, we need to move this ditch from this way. I'm working with an engineer and I'm asking the engineer, okay, you know, is, is the ditch better here or over there? And, you know, we're, we're going to put so a So you're a worried about water here. retention issues now. <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. Uh, now, well, I'll have it in my back, in, you know, the back of my mind. Okay, there's going to be some legal effect also, but, but there's that on the ground, which I think is, I think it's important to the voters because, um, if, if they don't appreciate uh, that, you just think you hear attorney you think, oh, well, they, they must go to court. Well, in reality, I, I hardly ever, ever go to court. What, uh, he was keeping me on my toes that whole night because, <laughs> you know, first I'm, I'm like, we're, we're two minutes from a live interview. He's like, actually, I'm a developer. I'm like, okay, like, you know, we'll roll with it. But then, you know, even when the results were announced and, you know, we had 100% of the precincts in that night. I'm looking at him like, are you going to announce it? Like, I'm not going to be the, I'm, I'm 24 years old. I'm not going to announce to your whole party <laughs> that you're the winner. So I was waiting on him about five minutes, you know. You and I were communicating, and I, I mean, knew what the hut people were right, doing. Right, right. And, and you know, he, he was cool, calm, and collected while I'm standing there like, we, we go live at 11 whether or not you make an announcement or not. So, um, <laughs> you know, it was the whole night. It, like I said, it's hurry up and wait in politics, and it was a lot of hurry up and sweat because, you know, it, you got, could get thrown off your game. But luckily, a few minutes before the show, you know, they came out and announced that Hunt had conceded, and everything worked out fine, but he didn't make it easy for me, that's for sure. Well, you you did very well in the transition. I remember outside, you got it the, down the first time with when you did your, your um, re-intro, and, and I, I was impressed. I'm like, okay, yep, she, she transitioned just fine. Uh, and then we, we were trying to be respectful she, of the hunt campaign. She's 24, but she's a pro. <laughs> she's a pro. She's a pro. You're, you're going to see her big time one day. Uh, but, you know, it, it's interesting because I was in the hunt campaign here in Columbus, and I was at least at Doubletree, so I did get a Doubletree chocolate chip cookie. So that, <laughs> that, was, the, that was the bonus for the night. Uh, but, you know, but the hunt people weren't happy with me as a reporter. They felt like that uh, – I had ambushed him um, in an interview that your guys ended up stealing off of our site and and using the video that I shot uh, to put uh, to dub over. So uh, I, I apparently I did catch Jeremy speechless um, when I was asking about his relationship with Fox News when another candidate, Wayne Johnson, the race sued Fox News and Hunt for alleging that it was unfair advantage was be get, being given to him by the news organization, and that suit is pending right now. Um, but I was not very well liked in that room that night anyway. Well, so. we were trying to be respectful of Jeremy's team uh, toward the end there, and I, um, you know, we could see it also, Sacra, we were looking at the, at the numbers, uh, um, but but we wanted to, to you know, show deference to, to them and let them, you know, come well, in their own time. Right before – it became obvious. I had run the restroom. I ran to Jeremy coming out, and I said, "So this is down to Macon now." And he said, "Yeah." I said, "Well, that's not good," because I had seen some Macon numbers that had come in. You know, we did a lot of calls into Macon. Yeah, and and so when we saw that, when we saw we were waiting on bid, we were confident too because we knew how many calls we'd make. Did that lawsuit Wayne filed in the reporting that kind of connected Hunt to Fox and the fact that none of y'all got Fox appearances. I mean, Wayne may have gotten one, you got zero. Did that help in the last week? I think it had probably close to zero impact. And uh, partly it's because of the, the nature of the uh, district. 
And partly because uh, from what the experts tell me, it, it takes like three, uh, three connects or three like mail pieces or impressions to move or drive a message. And in this district, the people who knew about that were so, so small. Most anybody who, who would have heard about it probably already had their mind up. And so I think the, the impact of, of the suit was probably very, very minimal. Um, you have, t- have you talked to Jeremy since the, since the election? Yeah. yeah where does that, where does that relationship stand? Cause it wasn't very good at the end of the campaign. Well, I was, um, I fe- Jeremy had always been, I think, respectful to me and we had always had a gr- good relationship. One based on a lot of respect, I have a lot of respect for him. I understood that it's politics, and the real negative stuff was really from the PACs, candidly. It wasn't from his campaign, and, you know, the, the way PACs that's set up. on his behalf. I mean, at the end of the day, a true, PAC but they're can't... not supposed to coordinate, right? Oh, yeah, so, okay. um, uh, so, but Jer- Jeremy and I had a great conversation um, after, the, uh, after the runoff. In fact, we were just texting yesterday, so um, I'm – uh, Is he still here in Columbus? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Um, from somebody who didn't, who kind of got in this race reluctantly, you're now one election away from being a congressman. Are you starting to feel like kind of the dog that caught the bus? Or are you starting to feel like, hey, this is the plan and we're working the plan out? Yeah, it's the second one. It's uh, To me, it's something that I've been there before. I feel like even though I was just an intern, uh, I've, I've been in the Senate. I've seen kind of how it works, how, how things when they work properly. I've, I've seen over the years just paying attention where you get young congressmen that go up there and make mistakes and uh, I know that's partly, be, partly you know, some people get, get too high on their own, uh, their own press. They get, uh, you know, on their own self, they, they lose humility. And that will, um, that will bring somebody down faster than about anything. But you've got to have good, smart people around you, people that are seasoned, people that have, have wisdom. And, um, and that's what we're going to try to build to make sure I keep, keep myself in check. And also, you know, you know I'll, pardon me, you know, I'll make a biblical re- reference is that plans fail for lack of counsel is, is actually, well, I guess I believe that was Solomon that wrote that was one of the wisest men that have ever lived. And so having good counsel around is going to be key you know, through the campaign and if I'm fortunate enough to be elected. One of the last things I want to get at, and then we'll give Sacro one more shot, um, is one of the things that I heard constituents say and I heard – Jeremy Hunt saying the campaign was it's going to take a black candidate to beat Sanford Bishop. Sanford obviously is black. Uh, Jeremy Hunt was. Do you buy that? No, and the, I understand a lot of people did, but when you look historically, the candidate who performed the best was a middle-aged white guy from Thomasville. Preacher. And he was a pastor. He from, from my recollection, did not have a military background like I do, did not have an agricultural background like I do. Those are two very key segments of, of this electorate and of this district. And uh, so, and I also think maybe it's just because I'm young. And you know what I did see? I've seen difference in the generations. How old I'll, are you? I'm 38. I'll be 39 in August. Older Folks that are older, 
played more to the race thing than folks that are younger. And I think as the, the younger folks, race has, and that's a good thing, race has just less of an impact. And things have changed over the years in, a, and in very, very good ways. And uh, But if you sit around a table in America's like I did with guys that were 65 and older, race was a, was a consideration. I understand their their perspective is, is a little different. Um, but, you know, that's one of the exciting things that maybe we'll be able to get to do through this campaign is have an open conversation about that. And, uh, and that, you know, that's something I think that younger people are more accustomed to. You know, I, I serve in the military with folks from all kind of different backgrounds. Um, we, our family, we, um, we actually kept uh, foster children when I was younger of all different races. And they were just like my little brother or sister for those months that we had them. And uh, so I guess, you know, maybe it's partly how I was, was raised, but I also just think it's younger people in, in general are just uh, race has less of a factor. And that, that is a good thing, or at least, you know, we under, we're, we're more open to the differences. That's a perfect opening for you to jump in here, Sakura. And, and, yeah, well, I think good ideas trump race any day, but, um, you know, I think even if it's at the forefront of people's minds, the good ideas will win regardless. Um, that being said, you know, I think the biggest difference between you and Sanford Bishop is he has the name recognition. People in the community know him. He goes to, sure. I mean, we just did an event where, you know, a, a member of the Muskogee County Sheriff's Office saved two children. He was there. He awarded awarded them an award, um, you know, for their efforts. So, you know, that's where he has a leg up. He has, you know. I was at a veteran's homeless shelter right. where he was touting federal money for it. Well, and so when he is physically there at all of these events, I mean, especially around Columbus, you know, you see him all the time. And so I think with you, you know, Chris West, you know, you got to have name recognition. You know, we see the signs, but physically being there in the spaces of the people that are, I mean, like you're going to do tonight at the Muskogee County uh, Republican headquarters. I think there's something to be said about being in the room with the people that are voting beyond just seeing your name on a billboard or a ad on TV. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Sakura. Um, my only contention I would say is that from a lot of what folks that I've communicated with across the district is that they do not see Sanford until election time. Around election time, Sanford's back in town. Other than that, you can't find him. And uh, so, uh, and I would say we've also, our, our company has done commercial developments in I think 28 of these 30 counties. And I can go county by county, town by town, and recount story after story, whether it's playing baseball, whether it's you know, doing something with the military, whether it's doing something with work. Uh, for a lifetime of relationships that we've developed across across this district, and uh, so that that'll be it'll be a fun part of the the conversation as we go forward. Well, we've hit a point where we're near the end of this, Chris, and I'm gonna do to you what I've done to everybody from Stacey Abrams on down. I call it turn the tables. I've been asking you questions, Sakra, and I've been asking you questions. You get to ask me a question, okay? And I, I didn't I didn't warn you it was coming. Huh. I'll see. Let's see what you do with it. I'd like to know, tell me about who you're, and maybe you're considered this unfair, but I think it's a, you ask hard questions, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot one back to you. Tell me who your role model is in 
the media, and it doesn't have to be today. It, it, it could be in, you know, throughout your lifetime or, or history of who is somebody that you look to that you aspire to say either he was a good or she was a good journalist or, uh, or writer or something like that. I'd just like to peel a little bit back into your thinking. My role model is a guy who was a ment- who I mentored. Uh, he was a young reporter named Jim Mustian. Came here from Odessa, Texas. Uh, was was from one of the directional institutes in Louisiana, raised in New Orleans, dad a lawyer. He came here. He was the most aggressive, smartest reporter I've ever seen. And he and I tag-teamed on some judicial, um, judicial malfeasance. Uh, two judges were taken out of office in large part based on some of the reporting we were doing. Um, we, we were, he, he was unbelievably good. Well, he now has, he went to, from here to, I'm trying to remember, um, one of the, a bigger day, oh, New Orleans. He went to, he, he went to Baton Rouge okay. and he built a name and won, was part of a Pulitzer Prize winning team, Baton Rouge. Today, he's one of the lead investigative reporters on the Associated Press investigative team. He's, he's old enough to be my son, but he is what I look to when I, Jim Mustian, he's the guy I look to. I called him today because I was trying to get him to meet me at the Braves, to take a flight out of New York and meet me at the Braves game tomorrow. And, um, he is in the middle of – he has literally drugged the governor's office and everybody into it based on his reporting of malfeasance within the Louisiana State Patrol. So is it the fact that he just kind of goes at things just with a, a, a with no agenda, doesn't care about uh, – t- t- tell me a little, it, little deeper into o- what this is about. His only agenda is the truth. I'll give you an, a, an example of somebody that you know um, – uh, Randy Robertson, who's a state senator, was the uh, Randy was um, the uh, major and the public affairs officer from the Muskogee County Sheriff's Office. There was a taser death in the jail. Jim and I did an open records request, and we were told to meet them at the this conference room. They were going to give it to us, and they were going to give us what we had requested records. Not only did they give us the records we requested, they gave us boxes of records we didn't request plus they put 10 people around a table we had no idea that was coming we walked in 10 people who were involved in it and said okay ask your questions now and jim looked at me and said what do we do and i said first of all we need about five minutes guys we'll be right back and jim and i went there and talked and i said jim you look at the records I can bull crap with the best of them. You look, you know what we're looking for. You go where we're going. I will ask simple questions about the taser, the use of the taser, and I'll give you 25 to 30 minutes. And I did. And Jim, in that time, was able to get in those records, and then he zeroed in on the death stuff. But they wanted us to walk out of there. And Randy may tell that story a little differently. Randy and I often tell our stories a little differently. Um great respect of each other i think he has respect for me i know i have respect for him but you know that was the day i realized how important we do is okay they're going to make the information available but you better be ready you ask for it you better be ready to deal with it and that was one of those things i learned so much that day and how to deal with with issues because he was gonna be able to say hey we met the requirement we met the we exceeded the open records request and 
you know, and if we had walked out of that room, there, there's no way they'd ever made those guys available to us again. It, it was, it was, it was smart, but you know, interesting. Well, that, that is that is interesting, and I kind of it, it, that goes with um, from what I learned about you. That that makes a lot of sense. At that well, I appreciate kinda, those qualities. I'm a, I'm I'm old school. That's new school. Sacra is new school, and <laughs> and new school's got a lot of advantages over old school. Sacra, anything you want to say to wrap it up? I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing what you say to the Muskogee County Republican uh, Committee tonight. And, um, yeah, I, we'll talk to you at that event, too. So we'll have that on our evening oh. news as so well. So you're getting a lot of WRBL here, Chris. Thank, uh, you. Thank you guys for your work. Okay. Our guest has been Chris West. He's a Thomasville attorney slash developer. Um, he is running as the Republican nominee for the second congressional seat in the November election against Sanford Bishop, an entrenched Democrat and Democratic incumbent. Okay, this is the point. Lewis, new director, we're, we're starting all fresh over here. Okay, this is the point where Chuck crashes the car, leaving the end of the podcast you can watch this podcast on wrbl.com tuesday nights most tuesday nights seven to eight you can also get it on your favorite podcast platform spotify apple and what am i missing our our okay also social media so sacra is a social media star she is a tiktok star of the highest order me not so much i'm not even on tiktok but i am on twitter at chuck williams i'm on facebook chuck williams wrbl and i'm on uh instagram at chuck williams 0999 you've been watching the chuck williams show listening to the chuck williams show whatever you've been doing i hope you didn't wreck your car hope you have a good rest of your week we'll be back again next week with another edition of the chuck williams show thanks guys <laughs>